today is recognized throughout the Christian household as the Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. It's always the first Sunday after Epiphany. Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of his adult ministry, in much of the same way that our own baptism marks the beginning of our own life lived in this surrender and openness and service to God. And of all of the gospel accounts, Luke especially seems to want to connect Jesus' baptism to our own baptism. When all the people were baptized and Jesus also was baptized and praying, the heavens opened, he writes. Jesus' baptism and our baptism are part of the same story. When all the people were baptized and Jesus also was baptized and praying, the heavens opened. Jesus was there with a whole crowd of people, all taking a dunk in the Jordan River, just like so many of us have been baptized somewhere in some place, maybe here at Dayspring, maybe another church, maybe a river, a lake, maybe a pool somewhere. We gave witness to our own faith in Christ. A blessing was spoken, and then came the water. When all the people were baptized and Jesus also was baptized and praying, the heavens opened. Our baptism, it connects us to Jesus' baptism and to the baptism of so many others. But it is kind of a strange thing that we do, isn't it? Dunking someone under the waters so that they are completely soaking wet, often in a Sunday morning service while the rest of us are dressed up in our Sunday best. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you might think there was some kind of hazing going on. That person up there in a funny dress, all soaking wet. So why do we do this? Why the water? Why there in the Jordan River and why now in church baptismals? Maybe that's a question you have asked, maybe not. Maybe you've not been baptized and you're wondering, well, why why would I put myself through that? Well, I'm glad you asked. For one thing, we baptized and baptize one another and are baptized simply because Jesus tells us to do it. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples is to go out and to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So at the most basic level, getting baptized is one of the first ways that we practice and we demonstrate our obedience to Christ. Jesus tells us to do this, and so we do it, whether or not we fully understand it. And I think that's important for us. The Christian life begins by letting go of your inhibitions, letting go of your insecurities, letting go of your pride, by giving up your so-called personal rights and your freedom to choose or not choose whatever you want, but giving that up to someone greater. If we are not willing to submit our lives to Christ, then we can't really call ourselves Christians. 
So there are things that we do, even when we don't understand them, if for no other reason than because we are told by Christ to do them. And maybe that sounds simple for some of you, but it can also be really difficult for some of us, especially for us Americans who like to celebrate our freedom and independence and free choice, and I'll do whatever I want. It's even harder for Baptists sometimes, I think, because our Baptist heritage is one of freedom, freedom to choose faith or not, freedom to believe how I want to believe or not, freedom to think outside the box. And all of that is part of what I love about being a Baptist-type Christian, but always insisting on our freedom and our independence can also be quite unhealthy. Surrender, Submission, they're words that may make us feel a little uneasy and uncomfortable, but they are essential movements of our soul, movements that are absolutely necessary for our spiritual life and growth. Until we are willing to submit ourselves to someone larger than us, even if we don't understand it, until we are willing to surrender to the, and trust in the goodness of God, then we can't really call ourselves Christians. So it's no coincidence, I think, that the first act of being, becoming a Christian is to submit yourself to this strange act of baptize, getting baptized, whether or not we understand it. We do this, if for no other reason, than out of obedience to Christ. And when the church was born, the disciples of Jesus started doing just that. I mean, if you read through the story of Acts, you'll read story after story of people getting baptized. Whenever people said yes to the story of Jesus, the disciples baptized them. And sometimes there were 3,000. Sometimes there was just one lonely eunuch on the side of the road. But there are stories of the religious and the non-religious, the insiders and the marginalized, Jews and Gentiles, traditional people and non-traditional people, wealthy people, poor people, the sophisticated, the unsophisticated. It didn't really matter. They all went through the same process. Whenever they said yes to trusting in and surrendering to and following Christ, they were baptized. So we are baptized and baptize one another because of the early church's example, and we baptize and are baptized simply out of submission and obedience to Christ, and those are good enough reasons by themselves. But there is actually quite a bit more to it than that. You see, the thing is, God doesn't ask us to do things just to kind of mess with us. There's always a reason. And discovering that reason, having curiosity about it, can open us up to something beautiful. So it's still really good to ask why. Why, why does Jesus do it and tell us to do it? Why is John out there baptizing in the Jordan River to begin with? Why the water? Why being soaked or submerged as the word baptism literally means? Well, 
I'm glad you asked. To understand that, you're going to have to go way back to the very beginning and understand the story, the great story, the whole story, the story of God's creative and redemptive work in the world. It begins, of course, where everything begins in Genesis chapter 1. Our scriptures start with those famous words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered over the surface of the deep. And there, over the deep, the wind of God, the spirit breath of God hovered over the waters, the scripture says. And it's there over those waters that God began to create calling forth light, pulling back the waters to reveal the dry land, bringing out new life and new beginnings. Creation begins by bringing new life out of these waters of chaos, the waters of death. And that theme of scripture keeps playing itself out over and over again as the sacred story continues again and again. New creation, new life keeps coming out of the waters. God's people are enslaved in Egypt, remember? And Pharaoh gets nervous about how many of them there are. And so the book of Exodus begins with Pharaoh's decree to kill all the newborn Hebrew babies. And so out of fear and desperation, a mother puts her little baby boy in a basket and sends him floating in the water down the Nile River, hoping against hope that he'll be saved. And that basket is found when Pharaoh's daughter is there by the river and she decides to raise the little boy as her own and she names him Moses, which means drawn out, the scripture says, because he was drawn out of the water, just as we are drawn out of the water in baptism. Of course, it's this same Moses that God uses to rescue the Hebrew people, to help deliver them from slavery, from death and bondage. When Moses, remember, grows up and becomes a man, he confronts Pharaoh. And after 10 plagues, Moses leads the Hebrew people out of Egypt. But then Pharaoh starts to have second thoughts. You know how the story goes, right? And Pharaoh decides to run them down. And pretty soon the Hebrew people are trapped between Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other. And in a dramatic moment, God repeats the creation act. God parts the waters of the Red Sea, brings forth dry land so that the people can pass through the waters to new life and freedom. And that single event becomes one of the defining moments for the people of God. As the people pass through the Red Sea, they pass from death to life, from bondage into freedom. They pass from this old identity as slaves into a new identity as God's people. You see, they are not ever really free until they have passed through the waters. But even that isn't the end of their story, is it? For 40 years, for an entire generation, they have to wander the wilderness learning about this new identity and what it means to be God's people. It's a 
40 years of wandering in the wilderness is this time of trial and formation before they can get to their long hoped for promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, the land that they were dreaming for. It was this home that they had come from long ago and longed to return. And at the end of those 40 years, Moses dies and passes the baton on to Joshua, and Joshua led the people to the very edge of the promised land, to the very edge of the Jordan River. And that river, the Jordan River, was the gateway into the promised land. It's the gateway into new life and new beginnings. The waters was the gateway to their home and God. And there at the Jordan River, God once again parts the waters so that the people can pass through the waters from the wilderness they've been living and wandering in into their long hoped for promised land. This is the story of the waters. God creating and calling forth new life out of the waters of chaos from the very beginning. Moses being drawn out of the Nile River. The people of God at the Red Sea, passing from slavery into freedom, and those same people a generation later at the Jordan River, passing from those years of wandering in the wilderness into the promised land. All of these things, all of these moments and stories are wrapped up in what John the Baptist was doing at the Jordan River. He is calling people to prepare their lives for a new action of God, for new creation, for a new life, for a new freedom, and an ancient promise that has been hoped for and is finally about to come true, which is why I think Jesus participates in this baptism just as much as Moses crossed the Red Sea with the people, and Joshua led the people through the Jordan River. Jesus leads us through the waters into new creation. He is the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land. And our baptism then joins us with Jesus in the waters. Our baptism joins us with Christians of old there in the Jordan River when all the people were baptized and Jesus also was baptized in praying. The heavens open, Luke writes. Jesus invites us into the waters to become part of that story, part of his story where the heavens open up and we discover more and more our own oneness with God, you are my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased, the heavens say. Jesus invites us into the waters to become part of his story, a story where the heavens opened up and we are enlivened by the spirit of God. The dove comes down. In baptism, Jesus invites us to become part of his story, his life. His calling, a life where we are more and more discovering our oneness with God, a life where we are enlivened by the Spirit of God, and a life where we are enacting the shalom of God. That's what we see in Jesus, and that's what we are surrendering to in baptism. Well, later on in the Gospels, Jesus asks his disciples, 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? He was, of course, talking about his coming crucifixion at that point. And ultimately, that's where the story takes us, isn't it? Baptism is all those things that we spoke of. And at the very same time, it is being crucified and raised with Christ. One of the very early church fathers, a a man named Cyril of Jerusalem, wrote, you were led to the holy pool of baptism just as Christ was taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb. And by that action, you died and were born. The saving waters, the baptismal waters, was your tomb, and at the same time, a womb. The womb birthing you into new life in God. That's the mystery that we confess in baptism. In baptism, we are joining with Jesus, buried with Christ in his death, raised to new life with Christ in his resurrection. You see, we baptize and are baptized because it's in the waters that we join with Christ and become part of God's new story, story of new creation. And so, sure, this practice of baptism is a little messy, a little shocking, a little strange, maybe. But, you know, I'm glad that it is because death and resurrection are a little messy and pretty shocking most of the time. And besides, sometimes we just need something shocking and something elemental and basic as being soaked in water to remind us of what is true that we are body, heart, and mind soaked in the very life of God. By the way, that's why when we do baptisms here at Dayspring nowadays, we leave those curtains wide open and watch as that person being baptized walks down into the pool and after it's over, comes back out dripping wet, just soaked. Anne Lamott puts it so beautifully. She says, baptism is about immersion. It's about falling into something elemental and wet. Most of what we do in this worldly life of ours is geared towards staying dry and looking good and trying not to go under. But in baptism, in lakes, and baptism in rain, and tanks, and fonts, you agree to do something that's a little sloppy because at the same time, it's holy and it's absurd. It's about surrender, giving in to all those things that we cannot control. It's a willingness to let go of our balance and decorum and to get drenched. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more that I need than to remember and know that I am drenched in the life of God. So if you ask me, baptism might just be one of the greatest hacks of the church and the greatest blessings we give to one another. So if you haven't ever been baptized, 
but maybe you find yourself thinking about it today. If you're a child or a teenager, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent that's never been baptized, but you find yourself feeling this nudge within you from the life of God saying, you need to do that. Or maybe something in you says, I want to be faithful to what Jesus is asking of me, but I I also need to know deep in my body that I too am soaked in the life of God. Then I want to invite you to reach out to me this week. Send me a text or shoot me an email and, and let's start talking about that. I'd be so glad that you did. And if you decide to get baptized, I think you will be so glad you took that step too. For those of you that have been baptized, whether it was as a child or an infant or as a teenager or as an adult, then let me invite you today to remember your baptism and not just the moment and not just the place, but in a deeper way, remember your baptism. When you feel like you're floating away on some river all by yourself, Remember that you have been drawn out of the waters. Remember your baptism. And when you feel like you're trapped in something or some place with no way out, remember that God has parted the Red Sea for you and will give you dry land to walk on if you will just take that courageous step to walk out onto it. Remember your baptism. And when you feel like you're kind of lost these days and wandering in a wilderness, trust that you are on a journey. Remember that you cannot be today what time and God's grace acting upon you will make of you tomorrow. Eventually, God will lead you into the promised land. Remember your baptism. And when you're trying to make some decisions about this life of yours, what to do and what to not do, remember that your life is no longer your own. In baptism, you died to that way of living, and you have now been raised to a life of following Jesus. Remember your baptism. You have been brought through the waters. You are God's. Amen.